Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. doubt that this world we live in today, the idea of family is under attack. I mean, divorce is near an all-time high. Um, People are living outside of wedlock as husband and wife uh, is equally often. Kids seem to be losing respect for authority, although I think that probably was already there, uh, including their parents, and they assume that the world revolves around them. At every turn, it seems that the world is hell-bent on breaking down the family and making it irrelevant to the world around us. Moreover, people's self-interest moves them to disown their own family members, often over money, petty arguments, and in this day and age, even political views. There are certain things that we do not talk about around the dinner table at Thanksgiving and Christmas because we want to have a good time. We want to love each other well. Sadly, this is even true in many of the families who claim to be Christ followers, who claim to know Christ and what it means to be saved by grace, what it means to be placed into a new family, people who claim to live a life that is in line with God's will. Now, I don't know uh, about you, about how you feel about the word family. For some of us, we have a very warm feeling about the word family. We think of uh, Christmas time. We think of family gatherings. We think of joy and love. Some of us might not think so well about family. Sometimes we think of difficult childhoods, current drama. There's a lot that goes into it. Either way, no matter if you understand family in a positive light or in a negative light, it affects the way that you interact in the church, especially in the church. The Bible teaches that in many ways the church should really be the epitome of a loving, caring, nurturing, and embracing family. But you know as well as I that this is not always the case. Maybe even rarely is this the case. Nevertheless, we must strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to be a place here, Grace Bible Church, to be a place of safety, truth, nurture, and joy for those who are in Side the walls and for those who are out as we model the kingdom of God to people who are not seeing it in the world. I mean, what do we think about when we think about Grace Bible? Do we think about great music? That's honestly, that's what I think about. Every time I go to another church and I listen to their music, I'm like, we got better music. We got better music. <laughs> Definitely. But what do people think about here? How do you understand GBC? Do you understand people? that are here for you all the time. People who are committed to your life. People who want to walk with you through the ups and downs. People who are going to hold you accountable. 
when you're departing from the will of God in your life. Or maybe you think of a nice place to come on Sunday morning where everyone's nice because that's what nice people do. Today we're going to be talking about family. We're continuing in our series on the church called Portraits of Grace. And one of perhaps the most common metaphors for the church is the family. There's lots of passages that, that say this, but one just in particular that we're going to start with, because we're going to go through a lot, is in 1 first, first Timothy, first Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, and this is what it says. Paul is saying, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So we see that word household there. To be, to be fair, the Greek word for family is actually patria. Right? We hear it in the word patriotic. We think of the word patristic. We hear that word patri in a lot of the words that we speak even in English. The word used here, though, is oikos. Oikos is like the Greek yogurt. If you know, there's actually a Greek yogurt called oikos. It actually means household, and it has a broader view of what it means to be a family. Okay? If we look back at the time this was written, we think about the Roman household, and it included more than just the nuclear biological family. They're often slaves as part of the household. In Roman society, you could adopt adults as your children, and they could be part of that family. So the household is a much larger, broader view of what it means to be in a family. And I think that Paul uses this term intentionally, does it elsewhere as well, because he doesn't want to confuse people with the idea of a biological connection. He wants people to understand that the family of God goes beyond biology. It goes beyond biology. I remember when I first came to the church, this was uh, how many years ago? Eight years ago or something like that. We had a, a lot of different families in the church, but it seemed like they all stemmed from like two or three families. And so like whenever you wanted to talk about someone behind their back, you were talking to one of their relatives. And so you had to understand how, who, who is related to whom. And so one time I asked somebody to draw, can you draw me a family tree so I know like who I'm dealing with? I, I'm still learning connections today. And so I asked someone, could you draw me a family tree so I can understand GBC and who's related to whom and how it all works? It looked like a bush. It didn't look like a tree. It didn't have these long limbs. It was like a bush, right? Because everyone was related to everyone. Just as it's sort of what happens in some of these smaller churches. And it was actually a wonderful and beautiful thing. It was so neat to find out how people's lives impacted one another in such a way that they married each other's kids to each other, and that they continued to grow in the same church place, same church family. However, those are biological ties, and we often confuse those ties as the most important. The church is a spiritual family. That's our first lesson for this morning. First point, the church is a spiritual family. If we're focusing on the physical, if we're looking at one another, how we're related by the flesh, what we look like, what is our descent, what is our socioeconomic status, we're failing to see what God wants us to know about his family. We are united by one and the same spirit. We talked about in the very first message on the body of Christ that we all belong to one another, that there is a connection through the Spirit of God, living through each and every one of us, connected both in this local church, but also to believers around the world. Think about that. That we belong to an extended family that surpasses the borders of this country, goes all around the world, and goes over time. 
over time. We belong to a family united in one spirit. And look at the words that are often used in the scripture to underline this truth. First, we have a heavenly father. Our father, who art in heaven. Our father. This is an important idea. You know, God is more than just our creator. Once we become believers, he becomes our father. In the Old Testament, it was not often spoken of in this way. Israel was sometimes spoken of as the son of the father. And Israel as a corporate nation sometimes referred to God as father. But never is it in the most personal sense. When Christ came and stood on this earth and he stood before the Pharisees and he called God his father, what was their response? Do you remember? Outrage. Outrage. Because never had someone declared God to be their father in such personal terms. Well, the way Jesus declares that is the way we too can claim God as our father. A deeply intimate and relational connection with the God who created us for relationship with him. Relationship with him. He becomes our father the moment we are born again through our faith. When we believe in Christ and what he came to do on our behalf to pay our sin debt that we could never pay, when we believe it, our eyes are open, the Spirit dwells in us, and we become adopted children. We're going to talk about this a a little bit later. We are grafted in, we are adopted in to the family of God and God becomes our father. More than that, and if just by the word father, it insists that we need children, and we are children of God. Listen to what we think about it. Listen to what 1 John 3 says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are children. Again, in the Old Testament, we'll talk about this in a, little, in a minute too, but in the Old Testament, the children of God were called the Bnei Israel, so the sons of Israel, or the Bnei Elohim, the sons of God. But it was never spoken of in one-on-one, individual, relational terms. But we are children. That means we have Spiritual siblings. Spiritual siblings throughout the New Testament. Again and again, we refer to one another as brother and sister. Brother and sister. You know, this was sometimes used against the church in the early first couple of centuries of the church. Everyone called everyone else brother or sister, and now these people are getting married. The Romans would turn it around and say, see, they're marrying their own family. And it was used as a disparaging remark, a way to confuse and lie about what the church of God really was about. But we are brothers and sisters. How do you view each other (laughs) when you interact with somebody here at church? Is your primary thought that this is my brother or sister? Or is your primary thought that this is just another person I go to GBC with? Our heavenly family is eternal, and this can be a scary thought. You better get used to getting along with these people, because you will be with them forever. Forever. 
It is our responsibility to reconcile with other believers quickly, here and now, because you will see them for a long, long time. Not only do we have brothers and sisters, we have a big brother. Hebrews 10, 11 and, uh, 2, 10 and 11 says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. This is talking about Jesus. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus and us are in the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. In your prayer time, when you're quiet before the Lord, and you have your hands folded and your eyes closed and you're interacting with Jesus, does he ever call you brother? Do you ever hear his voice calling you sister? We look at Christ as high and exalted, and he is above all things, but the truth is also that he is here, closer than even we are to ourselves. And he's calling you brother. He's calling you sister. He was the first. He was the author, the pioneer, the founder of our faith. So temporarily, he is, as in terms of time, he was the first of this family. Not only that, he's the firstborn in honor. He receives all of the glory, all of the laud, all of everything that we could give to God has now been given to Christ, for the Father has given it to him. That's our big brother. I don't know about you, but when we were kids... Having a big brother meant something. I got to admit, before I use this metaphor, I was not a good big brother. I was not a good big brother. It was fend for yourself. I was too busy fending for myself type of thing. But when we think of a big brother, of what a big brother should be, we think of somebody who will defend you. Somebody who will protect you from your enemies on the street. When you get into a scrap with someone, I'm getting my big brother. If that is true here on earth, how much more true should that be in relation to our heavenly relationship with him? When we're here battered, to the left and to the right, when we are in scraps with those spiritual entities that seek to destroy us and distract us from Jesus Christ, to whom do we turn? We got a big brother. And that big brother one day will defeat them with the word of his mouth. One day at the end, he'll simply say, enough. And everything that we've struggled against will be gone once and for all. So he protects us. Not only that, does the big brother show us how to please our father. Christ has led the way, living a perfect life that's laid out before us in the scripture. Showing us how we too are to relate to those outside of the church, those within the church, and to God, the father. And our big brother teaches us how to live in the world as a member of the heavenly family. So, since we're a spiritual family, how are we exemplifying that truth here at GBC? I think there's some things to know. First, families gather to celebrate and mourn. I love, there was one time I was doing a funeral for somebody in the church, and basically the only people who showed up were people from GBC. Only people from GBC. And I thought, yes, this is exactly how it is supposed to be. That I know that when I'm mourning, that my brothers and sisters will mourn with me. 
in the same way when I celebrate. I know that I have people in my corner who will rejoice with me and will know that because I am being lavished with blessing by the Father, that is a reason for celebration. This is part of the reason that I think it's important that we gather more, like after church. We're going to have a luncheon today. This is an opportunity for all of us to keep the party going. Keep the party going. This is an opportunity for us to be together and celebrate one another, to get to know one another and be in a family environment the way God says that we already are. Not only do families celebrate and mourn, but families stand in unity with each other in the storm. When life gets hard and that catastrophe happens, when something terrible occurs in our life because it is bound to happen, who's there? Who's there? This is why it is so important for you to really dig deep and put roots down in your growth groups, in your Bible studies, in the group that you would call sort of your main group, the place that everyone knows you and what's going on with you. Because at the end of the day, when something terrible happens, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? We have a responsibility to love and nurture one another, to show up and be committed to one another when these things happen. Finally, families should be a place of safety. Now, of course, physical safety is our primary and our, our utmost importance. We do everything we can to keep our family physically safe here. But I think it's important to note that equally as important is our emotional and spiritual safety when we come into this place. When we enter this building, and we're talking with other believers, when we're talking to our brothers and sisters, when we're struggling, carrying a weight of something, how safe do we feel sharing what's going on with us? Sharing what's going on with us. There was a time uh, early in uh, my time here at GBC, and I was um, um, or earlier in my recovery from drug addiction. And there was a person here who asked me how I was. Well, I took this teaching to heart, man. He said, so how are you this morning? Now, what he wanted to hear was, fine. I'm good. Fine. What he heard was, is I cannot stop thinking about using drugs today. This was my place. This was the place I thought that I was able to say that. Like, what's really going on? Aren't you tired of lying? Now, I don't mean it's like an outward lie, like we're intentionally, is we've been trained to not actually say what's happening. So I came in, I said, this is what's going on with me. He said, well, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, to be fair, and I've said this before, I probably shared too much, probably shared with the wrong person, but I assure you, there are people here, had I said that to you, would have known what to say. They would have known what to say. We as brothers and sisters all carry around different experiences, different struggles, different sin patterns, different testimonies, and those are our strengths together. In some way, your testimony is intended to help me in my struggle. The things that you're dealing with, the way you share these things with one another in the day-to-day -day blesses me. You know, when I come in and I talk to someone and they tell me, you know, this is what's happening. You know, I kicked the dog, I yelled at my wife on the way to work, I'm, Pete is going to write me an email now or something. I love dogs. My life's falling apart. 
I'm acting like a jerk. I hate my job. My wife, all she does is nag. If it's the other way, it's the guys do nothing. All they do is watch TV. Can we really come into this place and share those types of truths? We have to. We have to. It's not an option. The Lord has told us that this is our place, that this is our family, and this is where we share. So we need to be a place of safety. Place of safety. I'm going to say this. This doesn't apply to everyone. It might not apply to anyone. But I need to hear it all the time. It's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. When you show up on a Sunday morning, it's as much about other person. We need you. We need you. Even in your own struggle. All right, number two. We're part of God's spiritual family through adoption. Through adoption. In the Old Testament, as we said, sons of God, ben Elohim was the phrase that was used. But in the New Testament, we're made part of God's family by adoption through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Read that adoption to daughtership, childship, something along those lines. It's not just in relation to males. Because you are his sons or children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Our adoption was completely severed, is completely severed from any merit on our part. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in an orphanage and I saw a family coming and they showed up and I knew that they were going to pick somebody, I'd be combing my beard. I'd be, no, I'm kidding. I had a beard pretty young, but not that young. I would be doing everything I could, combing my hair, putting on my nicest clothes, having the best smile, trying my best to be the best because I want them to choose me. Sometimes we live our lives like this before God. God has told us that he has adopted us by grace completely out of no merit of our own, yet we strive to live a life acceptable so that we'll be accepted by the Father who's already accepted us. That truth is important for the way we interact here with one another as well because it's easy to forget that we were adopted by nothing of our own merit. We forget where we came from, don't we? We think that somehow, well, God chose me because I was doing pretty good, but he had to adopt you by grace because your life was a mess. God knew that we were helpless to save ourselves and we could not make ourselves worthy. It's not even on the same plane. It's not like we can only do a little bit. We could do nothing, nothing. Yet he chose you. To adopt you because he loves you. He sees the person that he created you to be in his image. Through the ravages of your own sin, your waywardness, and even your open rebellion. And how do we look at others in our church? Are we seeking to see the person that God made them to be? As adopted children, we have an inheritance as well. It says that we, as children of God, are also heirs. That means we have something coming to us. What does that mean? I want to know what that means. That means that we one day are going to stand in the fullness of our salvation. That means that what we have here is a down payment 
the presence of the Lord, the healing that we have here on earth, the forgiveness in Christ that we enjoy will be forever and completely given to us in heaven. I went to a funeral a couple of days ago and talked to somebody. I've said this before, but this bears repeating. As I, he said, well, you know, she's in a better place. I said, she's actually more healed now than she ever was here. We pray, Lord, please heal my brother, sister. Please heal this person. Then they die and we say, well, I guess it wasn't in the Lord's will. I contend that it was in the Lord's will and that that person is perfectly healed. Perfectly healed. Right now, what we have is a down payment by the power of the Spirit has, is being kept in trust with Christ. But we don't get it yet. I think because if we did, we would be focusing on the gifts instead of the giver. The only natural born son of God is Jesus. We are all adopted. Some of us act, like I said, like we're natural born and everyone else is adopted around us. But we're all equally indebted to God's grace for our adoption. Whether or not you got saved at three years old or you got saved at 90 years old, whether or not you've lived in Elmhurst your whole life, went to York, went to Elmhurst College, then bought a house in Elmhurst and then married another Elmhurst person. and then, I'm making a point, right? Or you grew up in Berkeley on the other side of the expressway. You went to schools there, you dropped out of high school, you got kicked out of the military, you became a heroin addict, you went to prison because of your addiction, you got out. Same. Same. We are both saved by grace because we both need it to the infinite degree. And so when we show up and we say, today is the day that I'm going to proclaim to someone that I had nothing to show for my salvation, that God did everything. Imagine what life would be like if your life was permeated by that truth. Hey, can I tell you something? I deserve nothing and this is what I got. Why? Because Jesus is good and God loves me and he loves you too. What if we showed up in our and our worship services were a celebration of that truth. I talked about last week, the guy in 15B who landed the plane that was sure to go down. What about if we showed up on Sunday morning relishing in the fact that we have done nothing to deserve anything, and yet here we are. Here we are by God's grace and his grace alone. You make me preach. Sometimes I want to just like go off, but you know, it's like, I'll look right. So. so what does this spiritual reality mean for each of us as we view GBC as God's family? Three, point three, we must, we have no choice, be committed to our spiritual family as much as our natural family. Now let me tell you about this. This can be totally taken out of context. This is a teaching, a truth, that has fueled cults, that has fueled cult leaders, has been really distorted, okay, in the life of churches throughout the ages. That this church is more important than your natural family, okay? It is true that Jesus gave a teaching. This is what he says. He says in Matthew 12, 46 through 50, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. So this is the Virgin Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters. We won't comment on the fact that he had brothers and sisters, but he had brothers and sisters. Anyway, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? 
pointing to his disciples. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. We focus on our natural, biological, nuclear family as the primary concern in our lives, the center upon which everything else turns, and then we show up on Sunday until someone ticks us off, then we go to another church and show up there. When Jesus taught that this place, the church, the church is often of primary importance. Just because people have misused this truth for their own sinful ends does not mean we should throw this truth out. It does not mean that we should be afraid of it. It means that we should embrace it along with the rest of the scripture to be held in tension. To see that, yes, this we are important to one another. We must be committed to one another. In a very real sense, our church family could be, in fact, it should be, a closer reflection of our true family than our own natural family can be. I mean, think about it. There are people here who have no relationship with their family. There are people here who a relationship with their family means danger, means abuse. It means ridicule. The church, it's us, we should be the answer to that in their lives. We should be the place that when they go to their natural family and find that, they come here and they find what they're really looking for, have always been looking for. Not perfect. Not perfect. But we matter to one another. God says it. We are God's consolation to those who are in true need of family here. True need of family here. Those of you who don't know your father... There's men here, safe men here, who will show you what it means to be a true father. If you're strained relationship with your siblings, you have brothers and sisters here who will show you what it means to be loved unconditionally. Now, these are big words. These are high words. We need to be worthy of these. And we need to own this. When we show up, are we treating and loving one another in this way? Not only in relationship and the way we love one another, but in our ministry. This was a moment when Jesus was ministering to people. He was ministering to people. And at that moment, Jesus prioritized his ministry to the lost over his commitment to his natural family. Now, anyone who's sat on an elder board here (laughs) knows what it means to have to put family second. There are many Monday nights I would rather be at home sitting around the kitchen table talking to my kids, talking to my wife, spending time with them. But I show up and I go to an elder meeting because I love you guys. Because I love you guys. And I want to do my part to lead this church and to protect you and to nurture what God has entrusted to me. There are times in our lives where our ministry to the Lord surpasses and is more important than our ministry to even our own families. Don't misunderstand me. We're to protect and nurture and love our kids. We're to grow them in the discipline and nurture of the Lord, teaching them what it means to live in, the, in light of God's love, but this doesn't mean we worship them. Funny story, unrelated. 
I heard a preacher say, actually, Lane and I went on a marriage retreat, and there was a guy there who was, uh, his kids were like, you always side with mom. He said, you're right. I can have more of you, but there's only one mom. In the end, she found safety in that, security in that truth. We spend way too much time worshiping our kids, fixing and managing, controlling their lives, trying to make sure that they get the right job or the right school or the right scholarship or the right trophy. And we miss the point. So what might it look like here at GBC to embrace the fact that we need to look at each other as as important of our natural, as our natural family? First, we need to make corporate worship a priority. I love the fact that the church is as full. It's awesome. It's awesome. Sunday morning is a dedicated time to worship our Father with our brothers and sisters, regardless of the weather or the sporting event. Ooh, I have to show up. But I got to be honest, if I was not the pastor and it was 72 degrees and it was going to be a beautiful day and I had been going to church a lot of weeks or months in a row, I might be tempted not to go. So I feel you. I understand it. But Sunday is not just another day for us to take advantage of on our weekend. Sunday is an opportunity to come together as a family and worship the God who saved us through his son Jesus and to be together. To be together because you need to be here. God has given you gifts to intru- that he's entrusted to you to love and nurture the people around you. Now, you got to come back. You can't leave after I've said that and go to another church that you can get in and get out in the dark and no one will ever talk to you. Okay? We need you and you need us. This is the truth. We need to be here. Waking up in the middle of the night to take a call from a brother or sister who's struggling. Many a times, my phone's rang at three in the morning. Someone said, I'm going to get high like right now. And I have to talk them off of a ledge. See, we don't have any of those big things in our lives. Or at least nothing that we admit. So there's lost this sense of urgency. But what if, what if, being in our head, letting Satan speak to us in lies, was as serious in our own life as dealing with an active drug addiction? What if getting in our head and listening to those voices telling us that we're not worthy, that God doesn't love us, that we've made so many mistakes and that we're never going to be the person that God expects us to be? What if that was serious enough for you to call someone at three in the morning and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. Tell me what I'm seeing wrong and let that person just speak truth and grace to you. What would life look like then? What would our church look like then? Imagine that. When considering a big purchase, here's another one, hit you right in your checkbook. When considering a big purchase, include the needs of God's people as part of the equation. I want to buy a new car. That means it's going to take up this much of my money each month, money that could be going to helping somebody else. Maybe I don't get the sunroof so I can have more available money to give to those in need. Not just GBC, I'm not talking about just us. Give in need. Give to those in need. Finally, we have a responsibility to protect, provide for, and nurture our spiritual family. 
First, we're to provide encouragement, to stay the course and remain faithful and obedient, spurring each other one another on. In Hebrews, it says that we are to irritate one another unto loving good deeds. What are you doing today? Who are you reaching today? How are you struggling in that area? How can, how can I help you serve the Lord better in your life and in your way? Listen to what Hebrews 3.13 says. But exhort one another every day. Every day. Imagine that, calling someone every day. As long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe part of us, the reason that six days of the week we do all these things we don't want to do and on day seven we show up here with smiles is because we're not exhorting one another every day. We're not seeking that every day. We are to nurture each other through our forgiveness and grace, being patient with those who are struggling, Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love. We're to give generously to those in need and create belonging and acceptance for those in society's fringes. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Create belonging wherever you go. When people come into this church, I want them to walk in and be like, oh my gosh, I'm part of the family. Day one, I showed up here. Judy's sitting over there, walked in, asked me who I was. I told her who I was and just turned around. He's here. It was like, how do you even know he, he, he is? He's here. They had been praying for me while I was in prison. And I showed up and it was as if I had come home. Now, there, I guarantee you, there are many people who are coming, who are still in prison, who are walking through those doors. In the manner in which we receive them, the manner in which we create belonging in their lives is the degree to which they're going to see the love of Christ and so be changed by it. Be changed. Seek to show hospitality. These are not optional elements of our salvation, guys. These are integral to a true and vibrant faith. Listen to what Paul says about not providing for one's own household. This is a biological household, okay? Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. This is in the context of someone not providing for their widowed mother so they could eat. Now, based on the teaching that our spiritual family is as important as our, as our physical one. And Paul is saying that those who do not provide for their physical family are, have denied the faith. How much more should we, as the true spiritual family of God, be providing for one another? Providing for one another. So what protection, provision, nurture for our brothers and sisters, what might that look like in GBC from day to day? Let's see here. What does that look like? First, love. How are we loving each other? Are we loving each other well? Do you feel loved when you come here? Are you making it a point when you come here to love others? Walk through the door. Lord, how can I love somebody today? When's the last time you told someone here that you loved them? You know, I love you. We've been coming here for 40 years together. I just want to let you know I appreciate you. How can we move beyond just duty to true embrace of our brothers and sisters? I mean, really digging down. Not only are we to love, we're supposed to be a, band, a, a, a pillar of truth here. Are we striving to uphold the truth of God's word by applying it first to our own lives and our own relationships and then to others? Are we guarding the truth and upholding it in love? Are we saying, you know, the Lord says this and he wants what's best for you? Prayer, are we making it a frequent and spontaneous 
mainstay of life at GBC. Like I said last week, I'd love to see everyone just praying for everyone here. Reliability. Can we rely on you? Can others rely on you? Can you rely on those around you? Is your yes a yes and your no a no? Are you going above and beyond for every person here, regardless of what they look like or what they've done to you in the past or what will likely do to you in the future? Are we taking time to sacrifice and encourage people, especially for those, those of some of you who do not have a strength of encouragement, like that language, you know what I mean? Some people just struggle with, oh, you know, like the guy, well, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. That was his way of encouraging me. But each of us are, are called to give a word, are called to give some nurture from what God says in his word to those around us. Last little piece. I know I'm getting bored, and I'm the one preaching, so I understand. This is an important thing. This is an important piece. Sometimes, when a church elevates the idea of family, a church family, it becomes us and them. It becomes a place where everyone knows everyone's name. So when somebody new comes to the church, it's a huge click. And it is so hard to break into. Now, let me tell you this. There are people who have been coming to this church for decades and feel like that from time to time. This is not, I'm not seeking to make us feel bad. I'm not seeking to cast a light on our church because we have an amazing church. We have an amazing family. I love you guys. I love this church. But I've heard it too many times from people who came and then left or people who try to continue to come, but then they fizzle out. We need to make sure that we are going above and beyond to include and embrace those who show up at our church. It's interesting. Sometimes here, someone shows up, I make this joke, is that you know they can't get out of here without giving someone like your social security number. You know what I mean? It's like they want to know everything about you. Everything. Other times there are people who come and go and they say, you know, one ever talked to me. What's the difference? I don't know the answer. I don't know. Maybe some of you really good welcomers were not here this week. I don't know. Maybe that was it. We could chalk it up and make an excuse like that. Or maybe there are times that we're just not good enough at this. That right now we're in a situation where I believe we have a wide front door. There, is, there are people coming in. Some of you are visiting here today. I, I love it. We have a wide front door. People are coming and hearing. We have a back door too that needs to get shut. It needs to get shut. And so we need to find a way individually as believers, but then also as a church going forward, how can we provide the best care, nurture, protection, and sense of belonging for people who are coming to this church? Because we, guys, we are God's plan. We are the kingdom of God here on earth. This is it. This is it. We should live like it. Let's live like it. As the Lord gives us strength. A couple brief points. Make it a point to talk to the person next to you in the pew. Smile and make eye contact with somebody, even if it's hard, just like this. 
offer prayer to anybody, whether you know them or not. If the Lord says that person pray, go to that person and pray. Make introductions. Some of you are great people putter togetherers. Oh, I know someone else here who does that. Walk them over so that they find friendship and encouragement. Invite people into our own lives. Hey, we're going out to lunch. You want to go to lunch? You want to come to dinner at my house? Hey, I'm going to play putt-putt. You want to putt-putt with me? For me, the most important piece is right from the very beginning, use language of vulnerability. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Are you sure? Are you sure? Actually, I'm struggling with this. Oh, I've struggled like that too. Struggled like that too. Language of vulnerability. Church is a spiritual family. In conclusion, we're part of God's spiritual family through adoption. We must be as committed to our spiritual family as our natural family, and we have a responsibility to protect, provide for, and nurture our spiritual family. May we be a church that does this well. May we be a church that then when they show up, they see what the family of God was intended to be all along. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this family because we know that we did nothing to deserve it. And above, and above that, Lord, not only have you adopted us into our, this family, but you've promised an inheritance that's held in trust by our big brother, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you, that you would give us a sense of ways in our own lives, individually, that we can love one another well. We pray, Lord, that you give us a deep sense of what it means to be part of this spiritual family and the importance and the eternality of this. Help us, Lord, to see the gravity of this and to lean into our brothers and sisters well, loving them like they've never been loved before. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We pray that you would give us the strength to do these things and help us, Lord, to look to you for that strength and not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for something of a illustration of what it means to be part of a family, I've asked the Evangelical Child and Family Agency to present to us today as part of our Living on Mission as an example. So I'd love to invite, who's coming up? All, all of you guys, Joyant, who's coming up? I have a jo Joyana plus and question mark. No? Okay. Come on up, whoever. It's okay. All right, the whole family's coming. That's what I'm talking about. Let me get you a microphone. Make sure you hold it up there. Yeah. We certainly thank Pastor Adam for that sermon, and I was just thinking it would be great to hear that at my church, too. So if you have that written down, I can ask our pastor to preach it, but it was good. And we need to hear the truth in love, and that's exactly how we feel that you presented this morning. So that is a challenge to all of us, Pastor. Thank you. Um, we had talked, because we weren't sure that you knew who would be doing the initial speaking this morning, so Joanna and I said, well, if he remembers Joanna's name first and calls Joanna up, she would do the speaking. But if you said ECFA, come on, <laughs> then I would do it. So you started with ECFA and then added Joanna, so we weren't sure what to do. <laughs> so anyway, so my name is Barbara Helmer. I'm the supervisor of the adoption program at Evangelical Child and Family Agency. Joanna is uh, an adoption worker. She's also worked in our foster care program when we had that, and also in Intact Family Services. So Joanna does our, our recruitment now, and so she is the one who's reaching out to pastors uh, and lay people in other churches. 
Faith Allman is our supervisor for the Pregnancy Support Services Program. So when we do come to a church, whether it's initiated through our pregnancy support or through adoption, we usually come together because we don't typically have the adoption piece of our work without the pregnancy support uh, services piece as well. So let me just tell you briefly, ECFA did, uh, the idea for ECFA came about in 1946 when a baby was found in a cardboard box on one of the steps of Mooney Bible Institute. And there was no agency like ECFA at that time, and so that's where the idea for the agency came about. That baby was placed in an orphanage, and in 1950, ECFA opened up its doors in Chicago. In September of 1981, the agency moved out to Wheaton, Illinois, where we still are at this time. We have four main services, and adoption is one, um, counseling is another, pregnancy support services, and intact family services. Intact family services is where, the, where a state worker has determined that the child has been abused or neglected, but can still be safe in their biological parents' home with, with intensive services being added on a weekly basis. Um, so it's similar to foster care, but the children are still with their parents. So we're talking about adoption. Um, so let me also mention that in 1985, we started an office, a district office in Wisconsin. That office has pregnancy support services and adoption as well. One of the things that we're trying to do more of in this next year or two is to recruit families who will adopt children from the foster care system, either from a private agency or from the Department of Children and Family Services. These are typically older children who have been abused or neglected with their families, and they're not returning to their families. Um, they're also not being adopted by the foster parents. So we are trying to recruit families that are trained in trauma care, because these children have all had trauma in their backgrounds. Just being in the foster care system adds its own trauma. Um, but a lot of the children have been abused physically or sexually, um, mentally in some way. And so we are trying to recruit families that will take them in. And we have some wonderful success stories. And I would just share one that there was a little girl last year that we took in at 10 years old, she had disrupted from nine different placements. She had been in residential care. She got placed uh, on an emergency basis in one, of, in one of our special, special families. There was a family that had seven children already, but believed that the Lord still had more children for them. We got approval for the st from the state for them to have eight children, and this little girl got placed, and now her adoption has been finalized this year and she is thriving. I saw her the other day, and just what a pleasant girl to, to be around. And the family just, they have such training in trauma care that they're able to help her to adjust and to be the best that she can be. And now she knows the, the Lord is her savior as well. So what a blessing for all of us. We have some prayer needs. And so um, what I would tell you is that in that same family, which is, this is very unusual, we have two little boys that are identified to go into this home. This family, our family, has a relationship with these boys for the last nine months where they're providing respite here on weekends. Again, it's, it's a very special family. Not many of our families can take that many children, but um, our prayer request is that we've already had what is called the clinical staffing uh, to make sure that everybody on this girl's team believes that this is the right plan and to get them all to agree for two more kids to go into this family is rare. And so it's, it's moving through the bureaucracy, which is very difficult. So we would ask that you would pray that it would reach the hands of somebody that can 
uh, move this along quicker than later because the director of DCFS has to approve it. And that's not an easy thing to do. But God has a plan, and we believe really that these boys belong in this home. That's one of the prayer requests. The other is that our adoptions through China have halted since COVID. We have children in, um, we, have, we have adoptive families in our Illinois and Wisconsin office that are identified and matched with children in China, but they cannot get out of China. Our prayer is that they would open up China to let the identified children leave. May not be for new children, for, for families that are just now wanting to adopt from China, but at least the children that have been identified to be placed into adoptive homes with our agency and really other agencies too. So those are two big prayer needs, as well as we're needing some staff for some of our programs. And I know a lot of agencies or companies are needing staff. And so we are not any different than them. We would ask for your prayers for that as well. So we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. And we look forward to talking to you afterwards. We do have a, a little table out there. Thank you, Pastor. Let me, let me take a moment to pray for you guys sure, and absolutely. for these prayer requests. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the Evangelical Child and Family Agency. We pray, Lord, that you would open doors um, to China, that you'd open doors of opportunity in this little girl's family for these two boys, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would show favor, that you, and really, Lord, we pray that your will would be done no matter what, and that, um, that we would see this for your glory and for the good of the, those involved. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us and that we were adopted because of you because of you and your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, ladies. Thank you so much. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.